may be seated. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And a lot of us really believe that. <laughs> and yet, in spite of this amazing declaration, we don't seem to have usually the same reaction to the news as the two Marys in the gospel text that we just heard read this morning. Now, I know that you say that it's because you've heard this story before. Uh, it's been told quite a few times since those women were charged with being the first preachers of the resurrection. But it is such earth-shattering good news, I want to know why we are still acting like everything is normal. We just shouldn't be acting like everything is normal. Now, here's what I want us to hear this morning. Here's what I want to accomplish in this message. Now, first of all, what you need to know is that many of us, including the preacher, is seriously sleep-deprived right this minute. Some of us were here until about midnight last night and had about four glorious hours of sleep in the intervening time. But I want to keep this simple because I don't know if I can come close to any kind of lucid communication otherwise. I'm just going to put it down where the goats can get it. So, so here's, the here's what I want to say. Here's the things that are really important. First of all, really, really dead Jesus became really, really alive Jesus. That's the core message of the resurrection. There's a lot depending on that. And the second thing I want to talk about is the two reasons why that matters to you right now. The two reasons that that matters to you right now. So other than the fact that we have heard this story before, why don't we have that potent cocktail of fear and joy coursing through our veins that those women disciples had that came to the tomb that first Easter morning? Well, I think it's because we don't realize what the tomb meant to them. For us, we get, we get to dress it up and turn it into something like, you know, like a chrysalis, which really is just the promise of better things to come. You know, when you were in third grade and your science teacher had those chrysalises with a butterfly in it, and you looked and you waited for that thing to open up, and all of a sudden there was this beautiful monarch butterfly out of this weird-looking chrysalis thing. So that's what Easter's about, Right. You know, if I hear the resurrection compared to a butterfly just one more time on Easter Sunday morning, I'm not going to be responsible for my actions. It's like we expect Jesus to come out of the tomb and flutter away. But no, no, for them, the tomb was not a promise of better things to come, of something wonderful. It was unrelieved, unmitigated disaster. And when we encounter the risen Christ in the text we heard this morning, we don't have to be told like those women, do not be afraid. They hear it twice. The angel says, don't be afraid. Jesus meets them. I like how Jesus greets them. You know, he's just defeated death, hell, and the grave. He comes out. He, he's, he's there. He appears to them walking somewhere in the outskirts of Jerusalem. And here's what he says to them. Greetings. <laughs> Which is basically... Howdy. <laughs> Good to see you. Oh, yeah, I'm alive. And yet, we don't realize how startling that is. We don't have to be told, do not be afraid, because actually, we weren't afraid, thank you very much. 
More than that, we weren't even startled by the proclamation. And not just because we've heard this story before, but because we don't realize just how really and truly dead Jesus had been up to that point. Like I said last night at the Easter Vigil, Jesus was dead, dead. Not Princess Bride, mostly dead. He was dead. We aren't inclined to throw ourselves at his feet and worship because we've forgotten that this man standing there smiling at us as as if he might erupt with all the laughter of heaven at the slightest provocation had been a corpse until just a few minutes ago. That's right, brothers and sisters, we need to make that connection. Jesus was a corpse, a dead body. We're talking we're, and we aren't, sh- we aren't totally shaking with fear and joy because we have forgotten that. Now, for the contrast, just think back to the behavior of those women and the disciples prior to that first Easter morning. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was the most unexpected event they could have ever anticipated. And it remains to this day the most unexpected event in all of human history. You think that modern people are skeptical of the resurrection? You just need to get in line. The disciples were the first skeptics of the resurrection. Nobody of Jesus's closest friends believed that he was going to rise from the dead. Nobody expected this event. Even though he had repeatedly told them that he would rise again, it never seemed to strike brain. I mean, right here in Matthew's gospel, just before Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for the very last week of his life. I mean, it's like, it's Palm Sunday. It's like the next day, right? And he's going up to Jerusalem. And this is what it says in Matthew 20. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Any questions? Okay, Jesus, so you're saying, like, we're going to go conquer the Romans now? No, no, no. I just didn't get it. These fearful, faithful women who arrive at the tomb aren't there to greet the newly risen Jesus, but in Matthew's gospel, to see the tomb. That verb actually is to watch. In other words, they were there to keep vigil for the dead. They knew that death was final, and it certainly looked that way. On Good Friday and all day Saturday until sometime early Sunday morning, Jesus was a dead man, really dead, brain dead, heart stopped, rigor mortis set in. Everything you associate with a corpse, Jesus was a corpse. He was as dead as every one of us in this room will be one day. And if we are truly going to be filled with the shocking, fearful joy of the resurrection, we need to think about the reality of Christ's death. Writing in the journal First Things a while back, Russell E. Saltzman made this very point. He wrote, what's more, he's talking about what he needs to hear on Easter Sunday morning. I need to know that everything that was him died as well. The love he felt for his friends, for his mother, and all his brightest memories and deepest regrets, all that died too. This is what death does if we are human. It is what death did to his humanity. It strips us of everything. 
in the particular method of his death, something else was taken as well. His preaching, his manner of living, his ideas about the reign of God, even his signs and healings and miracles, all were dead with him. They didn't account for anything because those very elements of his life had brought about the condition that led to his execution. This is the final meaning of crucifixion. Repudiation of a way of life so complete as to be a caution to anyone foolish enough to try it for themselves. Death by crucifixion as punishment for the life Jesus lived merits a warning. Don't try this at home. It could turn you into a corpse. Now here's why the really dead Jesus being raised to be the really living Jesus is critical for every one of us in this room this morning. The first thing is this. You see, we want, listen, we want good things to happen to good people and bad things to happen to bad people. This is a basic human desire. We long to see good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. But brothers and sisters, that is not how our lives work out in our experience, and it's not how the broader world beyond our lives works out either. In our world, and these are all things that are actual examples that I, I know of. In our world, saintly grandmothers who have served God and served the church and served their neighbors and loved everybody end up in Alzheimer's wards, not even knowing their families. They are left with the random firing of neurons, and they have seemed to be stripped of everything, including their very personhood. And we ask, in what universe is there a loving God that lets that happen? In our world, 44 Coptic Christians go to church just last week on Palm Sunday to worship Jesus, the Jesus they love, and in return for their faithfulness, they are blown literally to pieces by Islamic militants. Really, Jesus, is that how you reward your followers? In our world, Christians who have lived as demi, as second-class citizens in that part of the world for a thousand years eventually have had to flee genocide in the Middle East. Middle East. And instead of lifting up their plight as a crime against humanity, the, the crime that it is, the Western elite establishment, the academy, the media, the entertainment culture, the political establishment in the West ignores their plight or even demonstrates, and I have seen this personally, a sense of schadenfreude. In other words, a, a grim joy that finally these Christians, these non-progressive, patriarchal, privileged Christians, these Christians who really are the infectious agent that ruin everything we love about our elite secular culture are finally getting what they deserve. God, is that just? And when they beg for asylum, we turn our backs on them. body of Christ on earth, persecuted church, there is no room in the end for you. Really, God? In our world, poor Christians are among the most generous people. I've seen it in our own church. Giving away resources that they desperately need for the furtherance of the gospel and the alleviation 
of other people's need. They do it to such an extent that it radically alters how they live their lives. Some of them can't even get good health care. Some of them have to live in very dangerous places right here in Winston-Salem. Did you know there are dangerous places in Winston-Salem? Yet nominal rich Christians drop $50 in the offering plate once a year because, hey, if they actually gave more than that, well, they couldn't rent that villa in the Virgin Islands that they plan to this year. How is that just? In our world, a young Christian couple who has gone to enormous lengths, a clergy couple who has gone to enormous lengths to conceive a child, their only child, have found that their four-month-old little boy has developed an aggressive brain cancer that up to this point in every other case has a 100% mortality rate before the child reaches 12 months old. In what world is that allowed by a good and loving God? In light of this, here is why the resurrection matters to all of us in this room. Listen to this. The resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the only narrative, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the only narrative that makes sense of this world. The only thing that makes sense of a world like this one is that the very best of us, the purest of us, the most loving of us, the most giving of us, the one who identified himself as the one who came among us to serve. This one God allows to be stripped, beaten, nailed to a tree to die of a combination of blood loss, suffocation, and exposure while a carnival of hate revels at the foot of the cross. And here's why it makes sense of the world. First of all, it is because we serve a God who is willing to enter in to the human suffering that I have cataloged for you this morning at its most profound, deep, and painful level. Whenever someone comes to me, and they do, and I understand it with a seething anger in their heart at the way the universe is working out, and they say, why would God let this happen? Well, first of all, brothers and sisters, God never wanted it to happen. It was human sin and rebellion that introduced suffering into the world, and even now accounts for most of the suffering the world experiences. But before we even go any further than that, I want to take those people and stand them in front. I know how this hurts. I've seen it in the lives, my life and the lives of my own children. But we need to just go. This is why I do think we, the crucifix is a good thing to have somewhere in the church. Because when we feel like, why would God let this happen to me? We need to stand and look at his stripped, agonized son nailed to a cross for about 15 minutes and just let that sink in. Because God let that happen to the best of us. Because he wanted to do something about the way this world is. And it began with him entering into our suffering. The late C. Kilmer Myers, they called him Kim, Episcopal minister in New York, used to tell a story of Emma, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, who regularly at 4 p.m. each day came to stand outside his church on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and scream imprecations at Jesus. 
Finally, one day, Kim went out the door and down to the street and said to Emma, why don't you go inside and tell him yourself? She disappeared into the church, and after an hour had passed, Kim didn't hear anything, and he was worried about her, and so he went in to check in on her, and he found Emma prostrate under the crucifix, absolutely still. Reaching down, he touched her shoulder, and he looked, she looked up at him with tears in her eyes, and she said, after all, he was a Jew too. Tim Keller writes, uh, when you suffer, you may be completely in the dark about the reason for your suffering. It may seem as senseless to you as Christ's suffering seemed to his disciples. But the cross tells you what the reason isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you. It can't be that he has no plan for you. It can't be that he has abandoned you. Jesus was abandoned and paid for our sins so that God the Father would never abandon you. The cross proves that he loves you and understands what it means to suffer. It also demonstrates that God can be working in your life even when it seems like there is no rhyme or reason to what is happening. But there is, another, uh, there is another even more profound reason why the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is the only narrative that makes sense of our lives. It is that this righteous man who died a death he did not deserve was vindicated by God because all that happened to Jesus his death and his resurrection, in that God says that that is not the end of the story. Instead, before daybreak, three days after his crucifixion, God raises Jesus Christ from the dead, and he comes striding out into the world that rejected, tortured, and killed him and says, all authority in heaven and on earth are given to me. Brothers and sisters, if there is no resurrection, then yes, maybe this world is senseless and maybe suffering has no meaning. But because there is a resurrection from the dead, your life doesn't have to end in a grave. Your life in Christ can be, the, the, the grave can become a portal that takes you into Christ's glory with the promise of a future resurrection as well. Everything that you have ever loved and cared about will be taken away by death. But if you are connected to Christ, if you cling to the one who has gone through death and hell and back again for you, if you say, Jesus, save me, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he will tell you today you will be with me in paradise and he will take your lifeless corpse by the hand and drag you into a life you could have never imagined before, a life that is better than anything you have ever experienced here. But here's the great news. Here's the great news. Here's the exciting thing. The life that God has in store for you is going to be a lot like, oh, you're not going to expect what I'm about to say. Your ordinary life. It's just going to be everything you love about ordinary life, only better. 
Listen to what, again, uh, our Father who art in heaven, oh, no, excuse me, in Manhattan, (laughs) Tim Keller says. He says about the resurrection, if you can't dance and you long to dance, I can't dance. In the resurrection, you'll dance perfectly. If you're lonely in the resurrection, you will have perfect love. If you're empty in the resurrection, you will be fully satisfied. Ordinary life is what is going to be redeemed. There is nothing better than ordinary life except that it's always going away and falling apart. Ordinary life is food and work and chairs by the fire and hugs and dancing and mountains this world. God loves it so much that he gave his only son so we and the rest of this ordinary world could be redeemed and made perfect. And that is what is in store for us. So live in the light of the resurrection and renewal of this world and of yourself in a glorious, never-ending, joyful dance of grace. Brothers and sisters, I didn't make this up. By the way, um, I have one footnote to everything I've ever said. I've never said anything original. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, if Christ is raised from the dead, nothing else matters. If he is not raised from the dead, nothing else matters. Why are we acting like everything is business and usual? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now go live it out. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.